This is a Soulfire production. Hi, everybody. This is a really exciting podcast. Um, we have today one of my dearest friends in the whole world and mentors and fairy godmothers and all the words that I've used for her, uh, Mona Kazans. And she's such a very special woman to so many people. Uh, her, She goes by an executive business coach, but she's so much more than that. Uh, she is a life coach. She has her master's in spiritual psychology. She's a mom. She's a wife, a friend, friend-tor, mentor, um, playful, silly, mama, all the things. And I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear from her. She has so much wisdom. <laughs> so, so, so much wisdom. So I'm sure she's going to be a reoccurring guest on this podcast as clearly so many things are shifting and happening in this world. She's somebody that I consistently go to to ask questions. I'm like, what is really going on? Like, really? Like, like what the F is going on? She's one of the first people that I call just to gain perspective um, from a business perspective, from a spiritual perspective, from a life perspective, from a heart perspective. She's one of the first people I call. So Mona Kazans, welcome to Activate. I know this audience is going to love you. Thank you, Laura Holloway. <laughs> you know that I love you. You know that I'm a yes to everything that we get to do to play together. And I'm just so excited to be here for you, for all the beautiful souls that get to participate in whatever you create. I just think that you are a masterful bridge and a masterful creator. And I think that you up-level people in a way that is so gentle and soothing and so deeply profound. So it's my honor to be here. Oh, thank you so much. So you have been a mentor to many and in both business and spirituality and overlapping the two. And I feel like uh, this is more of a common conversation in 2020 than it has been in the past. And I would love just before we get started to kind of, you don't have to tell your whole story because we would be here for hours and hours, but just give us a little bit of background so people can get to know you on kind of your path to you know, your spiritual path and, and now like as an executive business coach and integrating both. Okay, great. So I would say that it has been a long and windy path. Uh, I feel often like I'm still on the roller coaster of life. And I feel very blessed because I definitely feel like I've had angels and guides and masters and God in my ear and holding me, carrying me when the, the little statement when people are walking in the sand and it's like, where were you, God, when I needed you most? And God's like, there were only two footprints because I was carrying you. Like, I feel that very, very often. So my story started, uh, my father is an immigrant that came from Germany. My mother, born and raised in San Francisco, but also comes from an immigrant family. And so I feel like that's important because there was a lot of fleeing and a lot of finding oneself and a lot of searching in life. And I believe that lineage planted the seeds of searching inside of myself. So then when I came into the planet, um, I think sometimes children come into the planet to learn from their parents and with their parents. And sometimes kids come into the planet to teach their parents. And I believe that I was one of those children that came into the planet to teach my parents. Of course, they taught me so many things, but I think that there was quite a lot of things that I came in with special gifts and capabilities that they didn't actually know how to cultivate. And so for the first 20 years of my life, I was 
I felt very lost and I felt very different and I felt very on the search for my people, my tribe, my community to just find acceptance. I was um, very, my, my father wanted a boy. If he was going to have children, he wanted a boy. So I was raised from the mentality of a father who wanted to have a boy. So there was a lot of masculine and focus and logic. And because of that, I pushed down all this beautiful intuition and these capabilities that I had because it felt like it wasn't accepted. My parents were skeptical, skeptical of it. And I remember a particular story when I was four where this woman was in my father's salon. He was a hairdresser and she was in his salon and I could hear her. And she was saying really not great things about herself. Like she'd look in the mirror before my dad was going to work on her hair and she would say not nice things to herself. And I was, I guess, confused why someone would say not nice things. And I made a comment like, why would you say that about yourself? And she wasn't speaking. And I didn't realize that when people don't speak at that young of an age and you hear people's thoughts like that, that was not how it is. And so for most people. So I said something and she got very upset and she told my father, called me a bunch of names and said, I'm precocious and how dare she, and this is a place of business and you shouldn't bring your children around. And from that moment on, there were these little moments in my life where when I would hear something or see something, I knew that that was bad. I believed that it, that wasn't allowed. So I buried all of that ability to intuit or hear or connect deeply with another soul thinking that that was weird and different and bad. And it wasn't until I was in my teens and late teens that I actually got to awaken back into that. I found a community of people for whom that was very acceptable and normal and natural. And so people would ask me questions about things. And it was up until then, things I had kept deeply buried and hidden. And all of a sudden, I was in a community of new people asking me questions. I'm like, wait, I'm not going to get in trouble for saying something like this? So that was really the beginning of my inquiry and investigation. About 18, 19 years old, it was like, oh, okay, so I get to explore. What have I not let myself experience and expand upon and learn and grow and cultivate that now I get to? Mm. So cool. And I love that story. And I feel like so many of us can relate, men, women in different ways, just different gifts, talents that maybe we're seeing as too much or different or somebody didn't understand so they projected their own fears and judgments and and we buried a lot of things whether that's you know we're too bright we're too confident we're too wild we're too free or we're we see too much we know too much right as little kids because we're so clear at a young age thank you thank you for sharing that and I don't think a lot of people know that about you um so as you started to cultivate your gifts I know you got your master's at University of Santa Monica which I've also gone to school they're a very 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 cool school that that teaches you 31 principles to unconditional loving <laughs> which is really just taking away all the junk between you and source and what's holding you back from experiencing and receiving love yeah um, well I, so I went to UCLA, and that's actually where I began finding my way, finding my path. I was this, I grew up in a small single street town. I went to a tiny little high school, and then I go to this 40,000 person college. Go Bruins. And I find my husband. He and I meet through 
an amazing story and we find each other and we don't get married for 10 years until we meet, but then we don't get married for 10 years. So there was a long journey of getting to know each other and figuring out our paths and how to find each other again. And during that time, I was on the search for my purpose and my value. It was like some elusive thing out in the future (laughs) that I was going to go find someday. And I wasn't going to stop until I found it somewhere, maybe under a rock (laughs) on the top of a mountain somewhere, a a vortex. I mean, I kept telling people like, there's vortex is going to come down, pull me up inside of it. I'm going to swirl around like a tornado. And then I'm going to know what I'm here for. That's funny. And yeah, that's not exactly how it happened. We can talk about that in just a minute. But as a result of what I did, it was like I was on this pursuit of the masculine, doing it right, proving myself, getting really good results, success, success, success. And then I was on this route of uncovering gifts and nuances and authenticity inside myself. And what is the authentic expression of myself really like? And how vulnerable am I? Do I have permission to actually be without people rejecting me, judging me, and pushing me away? And I had a lot of people like, not accept me fully. So that was really the pain inside of it. Mm. So when I found the master's in spiritual psychology, not only was a two-year deep dive into my own personal healing, but it was permission again. So there was like all these moments of permission in my life. It was permission again to use these amazing skills. And I always thought business needs heart. Mm. That business is more than ever. More than ever now. Right? Business is so in the mind, so cerebral, so logical, so planned, so organized. But if business could have heart, then we could be the people carrying out the things rather than the thing guiding how we be people. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Chills. And so that's what I've done is I help people be the people in everything they do create and touch and people thrive. Hmm they don't get lost in it anymore they find themselves through it and in it and they become even more of the expression of themselves rather than covering up the very things that make them amazing at what they do i love that and i feel like heart-based business has never been more important than it is now in 2020 and i feel like so many people are waking up to inclusion equality the importance of everyone's voice being heard the importance of listening, true listening, um, leading a cause-based, like why are we really doing what we're doing versus doing what we're doing for a bottom line, right? I, I think so many paradigms are shifting in life and business. How are you finding that spirituality or heart-centered leadership is essential now more than ever? Not only essential now more than ever, because heart-centered leadership and heart-based business gives people access to compassion for themselves and what people are going through, but now that so many people on the globe, not just in a region, but on the globe, like even though COVID has also pulled us apart, it's really brought us together in terms of energy and what we're going through, because there's a common awareness and a common compassion for you know, we used to know how to be together Mm. and how to work with each other and how to compete with each other, sometimes in a healthy way, sometimes in a non-healthy way. And I think that our hearts are having to find ways to be okay inside of ourselves because many people are in isolation. 
you know, they left being at work and that was their community, their tribe and their social life. And now they've come into their own apartments or condos or homes and they don't have anyone around or they're at home now with their family, sometimes in conflict because they were at work all day long. So they only had certain hours of the day where they were on in the way that they're on with their family. Now they're 10 hours together and they've never had to listen in the way that they need to listen now. They've never been asked from their children the things that they're being asked of them. So now more than ever, we have a different level of compassion for what we're all going through or how we're all growing through this. And so now there's this humility that people are, like there was so much ego in the business place before. Right, but this is the great like equalizer, a, totally. Yeah, there's this beautiful humility like, okay, you know, you see newscasters and their kids totally. run into the room screaming <laughs> totally. and they're like, sorry, here we're going, you know, folded into the mix. And we laugh because it's what's going on in my kitchen. It's what's going on in my house too. And it becomes the new norm and the new acceptable, like we're all human. We're all in this together. We could be in this together more if we come together as opposed to isolate ourselves apart. If we're in isolation, how do we open our hearts more? And so I feel like you know, I work with CEOs and a lot of CEOs at the beginning of COVID were like, we now have an accounting system and a reporting structure and people have to get online. And under the guise of meditation, we do this, uh, you know, roll call. And it's like, uh-uh, you're going to have all of these people that are revolting because they're trying to get up in time to get their kid ready for school and then show up into their work. If you give them breath and you give them space and you see what they're going through and relate to their version of the story, they're going to show up even more powerful because they're going to have so much gratitude that you're accepting their new circumstances. Mm, beautifully put. I love that. Space. It feels like a really powerful invitation. And, and I think more can actually get done with space. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think people are starting to also learn that the structure of four walls doesn't mean success and results. You know, I think we've become a culture of really hardworking, fast paced, get it done. And if I see you, then I can hold you accountable. Mm. And I think people are learning to trust a little bit more on the planet because you can't watch everybody's move all day long. The managers can't hold accountable people the way they used to. And so there's a whole new way of accountability and managerial styles that are now starting to emerge that never before had to. And so there's a lot more built-in trust. Yeah. You work consistently with top 1% of people in business, life, coaching them. Um, what are you? What are some overlapping themes you're seeing right now that we can kind of discuss on here and, and maybe quick breakthroughs or strategies to, to, to overcome whatever's going on? So a lot of overlapping themes with sure. people that work at the highest levels. You know, one of the things is how hard do I push and how hard do I hit our goals, our key performance and indicators? Like how hard do I get people to do the things they need to do? And then how much do I need to be aware of the impact that people are going through mm -hmm. from life to business to results? You know, many, many companies have had to furlough people. So people's best friends are no longer their mm -hmm. confidants in work. Uh, many people have had to take a salary cut. So people are like, how do I empower them and motivate them when money was one of the big drivers that I could use as leverage before? So 
I think number one, there's a lot more collaboration at the higher levels of business. People are asking for help more, which is wild in the CEO space. There are a lot more mastermind groups and collaborative groups. And then on top of that, companies like EO or Vistage or Young Professionals, those societies or those organizations are bringing those masterminds together. And that mastermind across different sectors are becoming a really important resource for how are you doing it? How are you doing it? How are you navigating this? How would you do your town downturn? What were your percentages? Like they're really getting collaborative. And I think in the world, the more co-creative we are, mm-hmm. the more collaborative we are, the more humbled we are to ask for help, the more leadership emerges because there's a, a common ground. There's an invitation to collaborate. And there's an invitation to consider completely new ways to do things rather than old styles, old regimes, top-down authority. So we're seeing a loosening up of the rigidness of old business, and we're moving into an age, you know, it's like this enlightenment and innovation age is really coming to fruition, not just because we want to, but now it's a have to. And people are asking completely different questions in new ways. And because you have to do virtual trainings, you know, I think a lot of people had the misunderstanding that you turn on Zoom and you're great at speaking. (laughs) And you're not. Turning on Zoom is just the box again, the container, but who you be in the matter of what you have to share with people, the energy you bring, the excitement that you bring and the leaning in and the changing of your face and the expression of your hands, and then moving back. Being able to show, you know, you like hold something up and someone like leans in because it's something different. Like you have to draw people into a a relatively flat experience. So, for example, the painting that's behind you, it's like, I'm curious about where's that from? Mm -hmm. And I happen to know a little bit more information about that painting. But if I didn't know, it's like that splash of color and that experience and knowing that you created that for me is like, oh, I love that she's proud about what she's done and there's depth and like I'm part of something. And then I'll be teaching classes and I'll pull in props because if I have props, people are now interested in actually what's different than just a talking head on a screen. Mm. Because if you watch videos or movies, like how boring would a documentary be if the whole documentary was one head talking with you. Right, totally. Like you, you, I'd fall asleep within the first 15 minutes. Totally. So many of my friends that run uh, workshops, one of our uh, mutual friends, Thomas, reached out to me because he's working with kids at USC. He's like, Laura, how do I create these courses to be more collaborative and like, you know, people, everybody sharing, doing panels, you know, people in the chat box, doing like giveaways and, and fun experiences, bringing in guests. Like, how do we be innovative? My dad works for the Wall Street Journal. They've done a really, really great job of creating these huge live experiences virtually with like different chat rooms and different rooms you can go into with different speakers. And, you know, people have had to innovate. So I love that you're bringing up that, that, that who you are and the energy that you bring is translatable virtually and and we need to be able to do that along with being willing to ask for help and be more collaborative and that feels really good all of that feels the asking for help and the collaboration feels a lot more at ease it feels a lot more sustainable <laughs> if, if well, i think before we had people that were really scared to be looked upon and judged in a way like if you ask for help 
in the past it might have meant you don't know yourself right. or you're asking for I definitely help had that story for sure as a leader. Yeah, like you're just something is missing in you. It was more it was more like I'm a leader. I have to figure it out. Like I just have to figure it out. It was like ingrained. Like I have to know. So I, you know, and I would beat myself up to 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 pretend like I know rather than be vulnerable and I don't know, do you know? <laughs> well, and what people are also doing is because they don't because maybe they're a little more boring of a speaker, like you said, they're bringing people in to help accommodate some of their weakness mm. or some of their own self-criticism. And so all of a sudden, people that may not have realized they were valued are recognizing their value. And now this person is looking like, oh, they share the spotlight, they share the experience, they share the leadership, and that's causing new leaders to emerge. I love that. So- there's so much innovation and creativity and opportunity available for us if we choose to look at it that way. And so part of your mission on the planet is to alleviate self-inflicting suffering, which comes from a foundation of our thoughts and beliefs and focusing on things that are great. Like what really like our reality is based on what we focus on. And that's easier said than done, especially if we're in a traumatic loop. So your mission on the planet, like I said, is to alleviate self-inflicted suffering. There's so much suffering on the planet right now, truthfully, like in all realms of life. And I know I am extremely empathetic and I have learned how to not go into that experience and take myself out. I would love for you to share with this audience um, how we overcome and, and live happy without recreating our own suffering and, and what that even means. Well, I love the question, how do we live a happier life? Because I think that even just asking the question begs the inquiry. Love and I that. think yes. all too often we get stuck inside of the way we've always done things. And the inquiry allows for an invitation of a new awareness. And the more we have new awarenesses, the more we get out of a fixed mindset and that fixed way of being into a growth mindset and a growth way of being. And again, it comes down to some of the permission. What permission were we given growing up? Can we go back in time to when we were little ones? And as the adult that we maybe didn't have the guidance from, can we go back and nurture our little one and love her or him and tell her what they needed to hear that they didn't hear so that they loosen up and are more flexible, that mm -hmm. little child within us, so they become our pal and our cheerleader going on the journey with us so that we don't feel like we're at odds internally and we have what we call competing intentions, where it's like, I want to be a better leader and I want to be on purpose and I want to connect with people, but can I, because my father used to say this and my teachers used to say this and my friends used to tease me about this. And so what happens, How, which, which voice inside of my own head and in my heart do I listen to? Mm. Do I listen to the trauma? Do I listen to the suffering? Do I listen to the wound that I pushed away thinking I'm done with that? I'm not a child anymore. I'm done with that. It's like, no, no, no. The, the concept that I teach my clients is, so you're going through life and you stub your toe for the very first time and you always walk around barefoot, but for the first time in your life, you stub your toe and you have this piece of skin that's flopping off and it hurts so badly. And you think, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't go barefoot in my life anymore. Wow. Great example. And imagine the whole rest of your life, you never take your socks and shoes off. Wow. So you don't ground into nature. You don't touch the grass. You don't want to go to the beach. And it's like all these things, because when you were five, you stubbed your toe 
And no one said, oh, baby, let me take care of that toe. Everything's going to be okay. Mommy, daddy's here. You've got this. You know, this happens. We heal. We're going to stub our toes every once in a while, and we're going to get right back up, and all's going to be well. It's like we were alone. The blood was coming everywhere. We got really scared. And then our mom got mad at us because we didn't have the socks on, and now we're a bad child. And boom, a wound pops off like a different part, like an aspect of ourself pops out of our whole pure, okay being. And if we never address the wound, imagine 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, incidents trigger the, see, I told you, you should have done it this way. Mm -hmm. See, you did it wrong. See, you're going to get hurt. And then it's not about stubbed toe. It's about someone breaks my heart. I get fired from a job. I never asked for the promotion. So my my side person who is working by my side, who I was better than asks for the promotion and they get it and I don't. And it's like, why do all these bad things happen to me? And it's because when you were little, you didn't know any better how to heal that part that broke off. And then you built that story around that wound and experience and never healed it. And so it becomes a triggerable aspect. And it's not just a stub toe. It's the tusk of toe and the bee sting and the friend didn't call you and the birthday party you didn't get to or the gift that you gave that other kids gave and you happen to be embarrassed about the gift you gave. It's all these little moments in life that then become triggerable moments. And then we don't realize because we push them down or away, hide them deep in the coffers of our memory, all these little aspects, and we never know how to heal them and bring them back into alignment and give ourselves permission to be okay that it happened and how to heal it, forgive ourselves, forgive others, love ourselves through it, and then move on. And so we get triggered and we get triggered and we get triggered. And by the age of like 18 to 20, we've had so many things that have already triggered us. We are a walking, ticking time bomb. Mm. Like landmines are everywhere to Mm. be found. Mm. I've known you for I don't know, 10 years now. And I have never heard that example. I think it's very clear. That was like the the clearest way that I have visually pictured younger wounds, stubbing your toe. That's such a great example and not choosing to wear shoes the rest of your life. So you have given me so many tools and I have personally learned so many tools through my own path. What would you say to somebody listening on the line to start to integrate some of those pieces that have maybe fallen away or, um, unaddressed wounds where maybe the seven-year-old screaming and trying to run the show and you're ignoring them or um what are just some basic tools because you are the queen of like boom let's get this let's do this like these are actionable items you can wake up and do every single day yeah so before i do that i wanted to share one thing okay so i believe that part of the reason it's been so hard as a civilization to heal the internal suffering is because First of all, not enough people are teaching that specific topic. And two, it's such a personal journey. So there are things we do that are private to us and we don't always share them because we don't want to be judged because we already do the most damage we could possibly do by judging ourselves. So we keep it hidden instead of going out and seeking the healer or healing that could be available to us. Beautiful. So I want to speak at it in four realms. And this is something that my husband and I talk about a lot in all of our coaching. So you've got your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual realms to name a few. There's a couple of other ones. We also talk about financial and sexual realm, but for the all intents and purposes, these are the four main realms. 
So physical is your five senses. It's how you engage in your body out in the world and how you treat your body and nourish and nurture your body. Mental is the thoughts, your rationale, your logic, kind of that masculine directionality, getting things done, going through a purpose. Emotional is your heart-centered, heart-based feeling experiences. And then your spiritual is everything that's greater than you, whether you believe in religion or not, whether that's not important, but it's you in the world at large, something greater like mother nature or something that you can't specifically define or explain energy that impacts you when you walk in a room or when you're feeling something, you know, one moment you're feeling happy, the next moment you're feeling sad and you don't understand why. So that's kind of the spirituality. So most of us operate in a couple of realms primarily. And many of us in business operate in our physical and our mental realm. We hide the emotional and certainly the spiritual from sight because we don't want people to have access to that depth of us and that, that intimate part of us. Mm. So, but the problem is, is if I'm upset about something at work and I go to share, well, let's say with my boss, I don't want them to know that I'm, um, fragile or vulnerable or that something's wrong, I try to be very stoic about it and very strong about it and very confident about it. So I may bring it up in a certain way. But the minute I speak about it, I'm probably feeling my feelings while I'm trying to maintain a logical, rational explanation. And my boss responds to me mentally. Here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to do it. This is why we need to do it. And that's what we're going to do. And the problem is, is that doesn't tap the emotional part of me that feels insecure. So I don't actually feel safe by the go just do this and you'll get the response. And then I might leave my boss's office and I might question and question and question, what did they mean? Am I going to do it right? And I doubt myself. As opposed to if my boss knew the realms and knew how to meet me in the emotional, it's like, hey, before I start telling you what to do and how to solve this or address this, I'm really noticing that you're in an upset. I'm really noticing that there's something going on. Can we just talk about that in a safe, closed-door space so that you feel like I'm complete and I feel heard, and then we can talk about what we need to do? Because now we're going to meet each other on the same page at the same vibration. Beautiful. But most people don't do that, so then we're on two different pages, and I'm trying to maintain, like, okay, I understand what you're doing. Check, 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 check. And it doesn't really work. Yeah. And in those moments, that's where the suffering continues because I'm having an inauthentic experience and I'm sharing that experience with someone that I'm counting on for my paycheck or for my direction or for my feedback. Beautiful. So I think the first thing we need to in the world deal with is suffering will continue so long as you are not aware what realm you're in and how to help people help you. Beautiful. There's an example so that just popped into my mind. So we're opening up a new wellness center, nutrition cafe here in Chicago. And we had a meeting with like six or seven of the core team that's opening it. And um, one of the, the girls came in a little bit late because she was with her significant other in the hospital. And uh, she just came in and just, we were in the middle of a meeting. We were already 30 minutes in, like check, 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 like checklist, binder, da, 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 da. and just stopped. And we all just breathed took a moment with her and one of my business partners he was so generous and just said you know for him it's prayer so he said would you guys mind if I just prayed really quickly and we're like absolutely like go for it so we just spent five minutes with her praying with her 
And then we invited her into the meeting that we had already begun. And it was good. It was clear. And I'm not saying, I mean, that's, that's an extreme example, but, but it, what you're saying is extremely important because it's the elephant in the room otherwise. And it's like, what are we really going to actually get done if this doesn't clear? Exactly. Or we don't hold so space for that. That sounds like a beautiful honoring process. And, you know, it doesn't always have to take that long. It can be yeah. like we as an organization or as a culture have an agreement that if we notice that there's more energy in a room or in a meeting, that we pause the objective of the meeting, we tune into the energy for a moment, give people, you know, set a timer and give people five minutes hot seat. What do you need to share? so that you can release what needs to get released. If we need to address it at a separate time in another meeting, we can do that. But let's just popcorn. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Great. Someone's taking notes. Got it. Great. And then five minutes is off. And now we move back into actually getting things done. It's like every person in that room felt acknowledged and mm -hmm. felt valuable and felt important and felt like they can tell their own mind, oh, good. This got addressed at a certain level. I get to park this and bring it up at another time when it's appropriate for this kind of conversation. Totally. So now to address the question that you asked. So when you start to know that, you start to attune more to what you actually need. Because I'm gonna give you some tools, but if I give you tools and you don't know how to know which ones to use, what's the point of a tool anyway? Right. The tool is just another thing to do. A beingness is the way that we actually address what we're going through. If we ignore what we feel inside and how we be, it doesn't matter what tool we use because we're not attuned to the part of us that actually needs the tool. Love that. So, so first of all, I always think, so your left hand, your left side of your body, so right and left brained are opposite body. There's a mirror image that happens. So your left hand is the mother, it's the feminine, it's your right brain. So I always have a person when they're gonna put their hand on their heart, you know, we were taught, put your right hand on your heart for the Pledge of Allegiance. Right. Put your left hand on your heart if you want to tune in. It's the mother nurturing this heart and soothing that precious little heart inside of you saying, I love you. I'm here for you. I want to hear everything that's important to you. And I'm right here. And we're going to do this together. I've got you. Your own hand can really be that sense of surrender, invitation, nourishment, nourishing. So that's step one, is placing your left hand on your precious heart and just tuning in and letting that voice of loving, kindness, celebration, the mother, the feminine, nourish you and nurture you and ground you in, bring you inside of your own heart, your own space. Then you, I don't know if you can see what you just did, but you just breathe, Laura. So then there's a breath mm. between what you feel, that energy of the hand on the heart, and then just breathing, two, three breaths. It's not a long intended thing. It can be just a momentary thing. And by the way, you can even under the table at a meeting in a boardroom, put your left hand on your stomach because your stomach is another heart center in your body. So if you don't want to be a weirdo at a meeting and put your hand on your heart, <laughs> you can put your hand on your stomach or in your sacrum. And it just looks like, you know, maybe you're hungry or maybe you ha are having lunch or whatever. But it, it is another way of saying, I'm connecting inside of myself right now because I'm feeling triggered or I'm feeling some kind of way. So you put your hand there, you take a couple Or of I'm breaths. looking for the honest answer that I'm being asked. Because it's your intuitive sense. Because it's Excellent. your, yeah. Excellent. So then you breathe and you allow yourself to just land, whatever that means for you. For some of you, it'll feel like this 
feeling of if you breathed down your esophagus, down your throat, down into your sacrum and into your stomach, like, and you poured that energy into your heart space and your stomach, like you'd feel it land. But otherwise, just imagine, make it up, figure out what it feels like. Like if you land inside of yourself, I always make this like, like this column in between my hands. That's what landing for me feels like. It feels like I'm connected deep within the center of the earth and way up into the heavens. Like I have this column of light that just connects me and grounds me so that nothing can disturb my peace within. Then I imagine, and this is, you know, you get to find your own practice of this, but I imagine an orb of light, like I'm in a white light bubble around me and the circumstance outside of me, which in a sense separates me from it, but not to keep me isolated, to keep me insulated mm, so that like what's that. mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Beautiful. And I can listen to you and respect you, even if we have differences of opinions or beliefs, and I can hold my center and my truth. So these are physical world reality things you can actually do to bring yourself into alignment. And then you can, in the mental realm, talk to yourself. You're okay. We're going to get through this. Hey, I'm noticing that you're feeling a little tense. I'm noticing that you're feeling a little... It's like your play-by-play of telling yourself what's going on. Uh, there was a study that was done in Harvard Medical Center where they put um, scopes on the brain and they showed people disturbing images like sadness, mm. a picture of something really devastating or really gruesome. And the person that was standing across from them was looking at the brain waves moving into the experience of sadness. And all the person did that was host, uh, hosting the test said, I'm noticing that you're feeling something. And they'd say, yeah, I'm really feeling sad. So I'm noticing that you're feeling sadness. I notice in your face, your facial expression is showing sadness. And I'm noticing you're feeling sadness. Is that accurate? And the person's like, yes. And I'm also feeling this. And then the person would just say, I'm noticing you're also feeling. They would add nothing else, but just repeating what the person said. And the brain waves went flat, wow. back to neutral. So our brains send an informational signal saying, I'm feeling this way. Handle it, handle it, handle it. Like fight, fight or freeze. But if we simply say inside of our own heads, I know you're feeling sad. I know you're feeling confused. I know you're feeling confronted right now. Let's handle this after the meeting. I'll be right with you. We'll go to the bathroom. All will be well. Inside your brain, not out loud, but in your brain. Literally, your brain will be able to refocus, neutralize, so you can be present for the rest of the meeting. And then you can go and fulfill the agreement you make with yourself. Don't leave it hanging because otherwise the voice will get even louder. But then you can excuse yourself to your office or cubicle or to the bathroom and you can say, what do you need from me right now? I noticed that you got upset. I noticed you got disturbed. What disturbed you? I'm right here. And you can, again, place that left hand on your heart or on your stomach or on your solar plexus and just love yourself. And these little skills will, in a physical way, begin to help you build trust with yourselves that you are being listened to and that you are a valuable, precious, sweet person and child and adult and that you deserve to be held and listened to and nurtured. So those are kind of physical world reality. Beautiful. And then there's just a couple of little skills that you can do on the like more practical, like you can do journal writing either before your day, in the middle of your day. You know, I have certain clients that have their own secret book that has like a lock on it, like old school, high school style or elementary <laughs> school style journal with the little lock, right? That's hilarious. So that they feel safe. 
but then they open it up and they write down fears, concerns, considerations, wants, needs, you know, self-criticisms. Um, I teach people the skill of compassionate self-forgiveness, forgiving yourself so that you can let go of the misunderstandings that you may place against others or yourself. And then doing some sort of connecting into nature or physical exercise or something to literally get it out of your body. Um, you know, the noodles when summertime comes and they're like the yeah. little 99 cent store noodles. Mm -hmm. So I have people get one, cut it in half, duct tape the part where you hold it. And when you hit things with it, it's really freaking loud. It's super loud. So Why have you feels, never had me do that? That is so fun. It's so good to hit hit like Trees. a pillow or a, a, a couch or your bed and just scream or get it out. But there's something about getting that energy out in a physical way that has you not dump stuff onto people. Beautiful. Yeah. So those are just a few. And so, so, so important. And we learn how to then integrate. So these parts of us aren't split. One part's here and one part's there. We learn how to trust ourselves and love ourselves and live in alignment with ourselves because we're listening to ourselves and we're taking action on ourselves. There's not one voice saying doing another thing and then we're doing another thing. Like we're, we're integrated in that way. Well, what this question brings forward for me is, you know, in the world right now, we're dealing with a lot of experiences of victimization and suffering. And so a lot of people feel like out there in the world, I have been victimized, but the greatest healing we can do because we can't stop other people's ignorance. We can't, we can't stop other people's judgment. They have to want to stop. And we're doing so much better as a community societies, you know, although I would prefer that there didn't have to be the negative energy that has to force this to happen. Sometimes that's the only way to get attention in a world where people are so busy and so distracted and so over-marketed and over-consumed. But if we deal with that misunderstanding inside of ourselves, we are powerful beyond measure. We are the only one of our kind on the planet. We are gift. We are capable. And we don't force other people to believe that about themselves. We just work on it in here. The energy we put out into the world causes others to seek it for themselves beautifully beautifully said that is how we break free of our own prison it's not outside of ourselves we're not and and that, that can be such an enticing thing like mr president please save me clearly that's not happening for anyone that's not even a political statement but nobody's gonna save you right like we we have the keys to to break free of our own prison um and i know that's one of your i don't know greatest gifts to teach people how to break free um, from their what own self-inflicted suffering. Yeah, what happened for me is as a child, I felt very, very boxed in and judged, mm. very judged by my father, by people. I just felt judged and I felt like I couldn't be right. So everything I did in life was to prove just how worth the loving I was. And I, it's because I didn't accept that I was love. Mm. I didn't see my own soul's essence as valuable and mattering. And so it was separate from my soul for the first 18 to 20 years so of my painful. life. I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to get off the planet. I wanted to. And, and then when people would leave me, friends would leave me. It was like, 
no wonder they left me. I'm a broken mess and no one should stay with me. Like I shouldn't be with people. And then inadvertently I'd push people away because I tried so hard to be right and lovable. It's like everybody around me felt shamed because I would try to outdo them because I would misunderstand that if I didn't outdo them, they wouldn't love me. And they didn't understand the deep pain that I was doing everything I was doing from. And so I just kept getting rejected and rejected. It was like, oh my God, I'm not, I do not belong in this planet. I don't belong in this world. I don't, I don't belong here. And again, it wasn't until I really hit number one, rock, rock bottom. I mean, an abusive, abusive relationship that all of a sudden it was, oh, I don't have to be treated this way. And the beautiful gift out of it was my husband, he taught me how lovable I was. Mm. My mother and my husband are the two people on the planet. And now my dad and my sister, like now the people that are around me, like I can accept the way they love me. But for, for a long time, I didn't even accept my mother's love because my mother was so good. Mm. It was like, I'm not even close to as good as my mom. So, you know, I'm not lovable fully by her. I knew she loved me, but I rejected some of that loving because she was so good and so such a beautiful, perfect mom. I was like never going to be good enough. And all of a sudden I had this man who just was my ride or die, like love. No matter what. And kept trying to tell me, Monica, I love you no matter how bad and how mean and how awful and how I mean, I put him through the ringer, Laura. I did so many shitty, horrible things you should never do to someone you love. You should never do to another person, but just no, not someone you love. Right. And he was like, I love you and I see past that stuff. Wow. I know who you are, Monica. I know who you are. And it was 10, 12 years of him telling me that, that I finally was like, okay, okay, I got it. Thank you. And now I don't want anyone on the planet to ever go through what I felt like I went through. Hmm. So, 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 so beautiful and so important, right? If everyone did that, do you feel like there would be war or any of the chaos that we see on earth? No, I think that if... (laughs) Is that all a projection of our own pain? (laughs) I I mean, I I believe so. You and I have had this conversation (laughs) so much. I feel like it is. I feel like wars start because someone didn't get the love they needed at a pivotal time in their life. And so the rest of their life is spent trying to find love and it gets translated into, I need power. I need control. I need to dominate. I need to, I mean, I'm even talking through, through COVID. There are massive studies of relationships breaking down, domestic violence, child abuse, because now everybody's in the home and, and it's horrible things are happening. And because Many schools are closed, so there's not the food that's being given when people are hungry. Really bad things happen. And uh, we're just entering into this time where grace and love and compassion and forgiveness and really pouring into people is needed more than ever. Yes. Like instead of condemning people, even people that have done wrong. Absolutely. Instead of condemning them, it's how do we love Love them? them? Love them because clearly if they did that wrong, they are so hurt, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And and God bless all my friends that do work in prisons. Like there's beautiful, beautiful people that do healing work in in our system that needs support. So I, I'm with you on that. Everyone, everyone deserves the equal amount of grace. Um 
So a few of my colleagues and business partners have been experiencing um, anxiety. And, and from my experience, anxiety comes from living in the future. And as a visionary, like is actually exciting for me to live into the future because it gives me a reason to be in the present, like as a visionary, cause I can see the future. I know why I'm working here now. Now, when I personally experience anxiety, it's when I'm, there's a timeline to it. So it's like, I'm not there yet, like yet as if time existed, right? Like when, it, like I saw this vision, but did I, was it supposed to be here tomorrow? Was it supposed to be like, it's how, how much can I trust in the vision that it will be here period. And I just get to do the work on every single day to stay in alignment and move things forward. Um, so that's my experience of anxiety. I'm wondering how you break that down for clients and people. So I, I really, Laura, love your definition of it's future fantasizing about something that we then get attached to. Yes. That can cause stress and anxiety. And and I feel like that probably... was, could be so much of that right now. Like, oh my God, am I going to die? Is my grandma going to die? Like if I go to the grocery store, am I going to get COVID? Oh my God, <clears throat> cough. Oh, COVID. What? Like so much. <laughs> like seriously, like I, I, there's been like five times where I'm like sniffle, like Rona, is that you? Like that, that meme, like seriously. And then is my business like, what's going to happen in 2020? And my friends are losing their jobs. And like, there's so much to be anxious about. I first want to acknowledge that you're it's normal to be anxious and we don't have to choose it well and the other thing is is there's positive and negative stress positive stress is the kind of stress that activates and motivates us and moves us forward and can we move it if we can move it into oh this is exhilarating this is positive this is awesome i'm excited i'm motivated i'm ready let's go and take it out of i'm stressed and i'm upset and i can't believe so there's like a level of can you move towards things instead of against things Beautiful. that will help stress be used. And then there's the kind of stress that wakes you up at night, that has your hair fall out, that has you not be able to breathe, that has you have the panic and anxiety attacks that closes in on your chest, that has you actually feel like you're getting corona yeah. or that you have some form of an illness that's in irreparable and terminal. It's like, and by the way, like I'm laughing, with, but it's not funny because I know so many people with debilitating anxiety. This is an well, important I'm, conversation. I, my husband is is a beautiful example of this and my mother-in-law so it's like my almost like a generational patterning and of course they came from a time when in the holocaust you really did lose your family it wasn't like a joke or i wonder if it's going to be that bad like it was horrible my husband wakes up in the middle of the night with dreams of his entire family being at the hill and all the gunmen fall into the into the trench Whoa. so when you have that recurring dream, of course, it's like, how do I shift my consciousness and my psyche from replaying lineage, yeah, historical lineage? So first of all, you do have to do some deeper work on that. And often you're going to need therapy or support or a coach or guidance or a mentor or something to help walk you through. And that's considered what? PTSD, like a, an actual yeah. trauma. Okay. Yeah. It's like a lineage of PTSD. Yeah. Exactly. It's activated. So, but what I think and what I've done with many of my clients that works is I move into this space of gentle kindness. Mm. And for me personally, I move into a space of mothering. And I recognize that something inside of them is not giving themselves permission to listen to the cheerleading, loving, generous, gentle voice 
all they learn to listen to and focus on is the voice that's harsh that they feel is the thing that has activated them to get ahead in life. That is so true for the person I'm thinking about. That is absolutely accurate. So then they keep triggering that energy and they feel as a misunderstanding that that's the only way they'll get to that future fantasy. And so they're so attached to that voice being the one thing that will get them there. And they don't want to be soft or they don't want to lose their edge or they don't want to lose that, the, you know, the tenacity. Or that's what got them there in the past. So it's the only way they think works. Well, that's usually what happens. Something happened when they were young. Someone or something challenged their belief in themselves. So they either shrunk or rose to the occasion. If they shrunk, often they became shyer and introvert. If they rose, then they proved to the rest of the world all the things that were wrong that anybody ever would, was going to say again for the rest of their life. And you kind of then go on these paths. And 100% what happened for me. So just to give a quick story so we can have examples with this. 18 years old, number one player in Illinois, tore my ACL, decided in that moment, it was traumatic for my whole team. We were going to state, whatever. Decided in that moment, no matter what, I'm coming back, whatever it takes, and we're going to win. Period. Period. So I made the choice to overcome. Call that proving whatever you want to call it. I definitely made a directional choice, which was wake up at 5 a.m., do pool workouts, whatever it takes to heal my body. We go on. That year, we win the national championship all the way for Holloway, all the things. I get the praise. So that's a programmed way and a choice I made of living that I then can pull from and choose to activate in life and business because it served me in the past, which is everything else, including relationships, boyfriends, loved ones, goes to the side because at all costs, I'm winning for the sake of the team. Right. And that's and it's great and it works and it did work in life and business and sports until you want a more balanced life and you want a husband and you want all these things. And then you push away love rather than um, live a graceful, balanced, integrated life and trust that there is a joyful, different way to get there. Well, and there was a while, Laura, that you would share with me. There was this place in your heart that felt like a gaping hole. Absolutely. Because, like a longing because, yeah, and a sadness. And so you didn't just reject and push away anything outside. You rejected and pushed away the authentic nature you are. Which was loving and fun and free and super freaking silly and so freaking silly. Like we the weirdest. Yeah. <laughs> like literal so, a walk. You know, and, and it's a great example. Yeah. What'd you say? permission. Like when I'm around that girl, I get to be my weird and kooky and silly self. But if you put that down because you have to be something, I mean, we always, and that's also like coaches. So I, there's a distinct story when I was 16, I'm, we don't have to say his name, whatever. One of my coaches is just like, I'm shuffling. I'm, I'm in the back row. I'm actually playing in practice. And he's like, is this effing fun Holloway? Is this effing fun you're the captain you're the leader of this team you're an embarrassment this isn't fun this isn't fun you need to be serious and so I really I remember like my mom and I like my mom's like you're gonna need to do therapy around this because I literally cried for 24 hours about that because I've never felt more attacked for who I am like you can say 
you're tall, you're fat, you're whatever. Like to me, so that hurts some people. Like for me, when you attack like who I am, like my soul, that's what really hurt. And like to me, that was attacking my spirit of, of, of like being a fun loving leader and no my essence, right? Yeah. And so I definitely felt like in order to win, I had to be serious. That was one of the stories I created at 16, along with the work ethic shift and, and kind of pushing everything out of the way at 18 in order to win and, 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 and ended up recreating more injury. Like it was a pattern that um, was not healthy, obviously all the injuries today. However, um, I bring that up because both of those shut out who I was. So most of my reprogramming came around encouraging myself in a loving way that I can have success and have it all. I can be fun loving and be a successful leader, right? I don't have to be perfect. I don't, it doesn't have to look a certain way. Um, who I am is actually my greatest gift in business. That's right. And, and it's, and it's, and and it's what bridges me exactly. And I can connect with anyone anywhere from any background because I am my fully expressed self and they can see themselves and they trust me in that, in that. So anyways, I bring that forward for an example, because I feel like a lot of people in the line may get the, have the opportunity to offer themselves another perspective and knowing there's another way to quote unquote win. Yeah. Through choosing differently. We have a quote that says, your thoughts create your reality. And so if you think I have to be this way in order to get to this destination, 100%. then I'm going to create a reality where everything around me shows me exactly how to do that. So one of the ways that we help our clients get clear about what they really want to create is spend the next seven days only looking for what's serving you only. And your habit is going to go right to what's not serving you. But course correct, tell yourself, I got it. You want to show me that that's not working? We're, gonna, we're not focusing on that this week for seven days. And you look for all the things that are serving you. And the moment you start to shift your perception of what the universe is actually showing you, the universe will start showing you more and more and more of that. So the people that I work with that are highly suffering from anxiety Number one, they usually have a generative thought. It started at a certain time when they were children that was an incident or a, new, a number of incidents that caused them to believe, oh my God, life is not safe for me. Mm. So we go back in time and we heal some of those. But then what we also do is in your world, you are no longer looking anymore for the next seven days. And we start seven day increment, then the next, then 14 day increment, then 30 day increment, we move it. You know, and if we if we fail, we go back to seven days or we go back to three days and I'm, I'm in communication with them through it because old habits die hard. So your operating system in your brain, just like I was telling you about the brain sends the signal. If we don't acknowledge the signal, the signal will get louder and louder and louder. The moment we acknowledge it, I acknowledge that you're feeling anxiety right now. I'm right here with you. You don't need to. You're OK. We're going to get through this together. It's like the anxiety thermometer goes down a little bit. So when they start looking for how the world is serving them and they build the muscle over three, six, nine months of time, it shifts their entire perceptional filter, like their lens of life shifts. And then the things that used to trigger the anxiety are no longer in their reality. So it takes time, but it's a very doable exercise that one can do simply by catching every time they see the things that trigger the anxiety. 
Beautiful. Beautiful. So much. So, so many people can have uh, shifts around that and trusting that through integrating both the masculine and the feminine, having both parts of us work together versus separate, um, we can um, not only build a fun and joyful business and life, but an integrated life where they don't feel separate. Um, so is there any way that you have started to operate more in your feminine? I know you've done a lot of work around this and like how to have more grace. I mean, not during COVID, you've been a mom, you've been a teacher of three people. You, you know, you're, you've held the, the household together and you've also had to learn to come from overflow. Like how do you operate from grace through suffering? Awesome. So yes, I mean, look, we are humans. And at the end of the day, as much as it is my life's purpose and mission to eradicate self-inflicted suffering, <laughs> I have moments of suffering. Myself. You call me, you're like, ah! <laughs> ah! I do. And thank goodness, by the way, I have come to the place in my life where I don't need to prove anything. So I have my special pillars in my life, my light bearers and my light holders that I call. And they're like my first line of defense. Um, my life-saving graces, and uh, I share, I share, because like, again, sharing sometimes and knowing that the people that are in my inner circle, like I, I always say to people, you have concentric circles of people in your life around you, and who is in each concentric circle can change over time. Yeah. So my closest circle are the people that when I call them, they know I'm not calling for advice. I don't actually need them to fix it. I have 25 years and freaking 45 lifetimes of unbelievable wisdom from guides and mentors. What I need from them is to share back what they hear me say, to reflect who they love me to be and reflect what they know I'm capable of. And then I'm going to come up with my own solutions and answers. And if I need a specific help or an ask, then I can ask them myself, but they're not just going to volunteer it. In my second level of circle of friends, that, that's the group of people that might think that they should give advice. So I kind of call them like a week or two after the big thing happened. Yeah. Because then it's simmered and I've settled and I'm not judging myself as harshly. But to answer your question about masculine and feminine. So first of all, I feel like I've spent lifetimes, you know, one part of my lifetime, I was like a mother on a farm. My husband had been killed. And so I was working like 50 acres of land with my son and my daughters. And like, I have this vision of myself. And so in that lifetime, I remember specifically, like, I have to be the mother and the father. So I have to be the masculine and the feminine. And there's not a lot of space for the feminine. And I remember a lifetime, I was a warrior in a million person battle. And I was again, the masculine. So in many of my lifetime memories, when I recall and regress, I remember being a man and being or being a woman that had to do men's work mm. in the time or the age or the experience. And so I felt like that guided me to think, well, that must be the worthy work or the important work or the valued in the world work on the outside. People value that more. So I developed that skill. Totally. And like you had said a moment ago, and I'm not going to get rid of it it's an amazing superhero power. Like I can get shit done and I can make results happen and Absolutely. I can have an idea and bring it to fruition. I'm not like the pie in the sky idea person and I need the implementer. Like I have the idea and I execute. What it also teaches me is there is this part of me where 
I'm not going to give up this intense, masculine, strong, capable part. I've developed that over lifetimes. But what I am going to develop is what is the soft, kind, generous, gentle, mothering side of me? Why? Because I needed that so desperately. Right. So from like 18 until today, that's always been what I've been teasing out as how do they work together as opposed to one's the super leader and the other one is kind of in the shadows. Like how can they be in equilibrium when I need the masculine, it pulls up. When I don't need the masculine, the feminine pulls up. How do I have the dance between the two so that in perfect harmony and equilibrium, not balance, but in equilibrium, whatever is needed more in this moment, I accept and invite and use. Beautiful. And I think that's been my greatest. That it, so the way I say it is, here's the feminine, like the cup, and the masculine is held by the feminine. And the masculine does what it needs to do, and the feminine is always there holding it. So before I start any project, I always do a guided meditation or a visualization like, Okay, I call forward the feminine, the mothers, Mother Earth, Mother Nature, uh, Mother Mary, Mother Magdalene. Like I call all the mothers forward to hold the fruition of this so that I may arrive there through grace, through ease, through loving, through acceptance of myself and others. High involvement, low attachment so that I'm not disappointed through assumptions and expectations. And it's caused flow. It's caused my life to be a lot more easy, a lot more playful, a lot more accepting of my nuances and my differences, a lot more accepting of other people doing it completely differently than me and not judging that that's wrong. In fact, looking at that like, ooh, maybe I can learn something from that. That's so curious and interesting. Mm. It's really helped me find my way. I love that. Beautiful, beautiful visualization that we could all take on just to to have a mindful moment before we create any project. Just that alone can bring a different energy to it. Just taking space before implementing it and to, to set an intention of how you want people to feel in the experience of bringing it forward and yourself to feel in the experience of bringing it forward. Uh, what are three people, three things that you would love people on the line to know about themselves because you are somebody that stands for people rides for people is an intuitive knower of people like maybe it's something you've noticed in your clients or a repeating thing you always hear when people are coming to you if we could close our eyes and take these three things in from you these nuggets of life what would they be so one would be that you are the only version of you that is and will ever be on this planet and you are not searching for your purpose. You are your purpose. So what I mean by that is we often get confused in a world where people have so much ambition and direction that we have somewhere to get to before we're fully cooked and for, before we fully can accept ourselves. But the thing that people come to you in life for, that they seek solace, that they seek your support, that they seek your reassurance for, that is your superpower. And that is your purpose. That is what you are here to be and do for people and for yourself. And if you spend a lifetime looking for a purpose because you undervalue what you naturally are, then the skill and the ability to cultivate it will not come to you at the level that it could if you embrace what you have and who you are is uniquely yours and you're the only carbon copy of you that will ever exist. 400 trillion cells are just you and will only ever be you 
So celebrate that. Find a place inside that you can love that this is truly me. This is what I'm here for. And I'm going to cultivate that along with other things that present itself because I'm so this thing. Beautiful. And and Ron, who, Ron and Mary, they, they taught us at US, uh, USM, he always says, it's not what you do, it's who you be inside of what you do. And I think that statement is so important in 2020 with so many people shifting careers, losing jobs, to just know inside of themselves, it's never been what you do. It's always been who you are. And that's transferable wherever you go. That's right. Well, and everybody needs something you have to give. Everybody needs something you have to give. So are you giving it? So that's the first one. The second one is that whatever someone says about you is what they think, not what you should think. So always question anything that disturbs your peace. Hmm. Because if it disturbs your peace, was it intended for you to listen to so you could grow? How do you use it for your growth and upliftment rather than use it against yourself to prove a theory of what's wrong with you? Hmm. What you're going to look for, your thoughts create your reality. What you look for will become your reality. So why not look for the things that lift you up rather than the things that push you down? Beautiful. So that's the second one. And then the third one is whatever gift you are, pay it forward. Instead of questioning and doubting and wondering, am I ready? Am I good enough? Can I? Should I? Am I deserving? Yes. The answer to all those questions is, Yes, you're ready. Yes, you're, you can. Yes, you're deserving. And if you feel more comfortable sharing it with a small group of people that are your closies first, awesome. But please pay yourself forward because you're the only one that can in the way you are. And who knows if what you keep in, it dies with you. Mm. So why not let it out so that people can take it and run with it in the way that they're supposed to use your gift and your lesson or your voice on this planet? so beautiful and i feel like with some of the greats you know passing this year you can see that they took their truest gifts and they maxed them out and they're like i'm here done did that i showed y'all how to max it out in 40 years real quick Boom. in and out i showed you what empowerment looked like you know i i showed you what being a king looked like i showed you what um being incredible at your craft looked like take it i'm out <laughs> like seriously yeah, yeah. Take, right. take the gift. I'm out. Peace. Yeah. Deuces. Um, what do you want to remember for? What's your greatest superpower? Um, I mean, I think I want to be remembered for any person whose life I touched, that they are lovable, that I loved them, that they loved themselves, and that they chose to let go of suffering and to be their greatest version on this planet. Beautiful. What's your vision for the future? Um, a world where their people have the tools and skills and abilities to nip suffering in the bud, to spread love and laughter and playfulness on the planet, to let your weirdo out and to create communities of people, even if they're intimate communities. Now that we're coming inside, create intimate communities where you share your gifts with each other. Mm, I love that. So you have so many tools where what are for this audience which i feel like you you would kind of know who'd be tuning in 
what do you feel like they could be most supported by you? Is it one-on-one? Is it in your 90-day coaching program? Like, where can we find you? And what should we plug people into that want more of you? Thank you for asking. So I would say that there are three primary things that I would love for people to seek. If you are wanting to work on deep projects or deep letting go of the suffering or deep ready to move up in your life, evolve, excel, move up, then one-on-one coaching. Love to do that. And we do both business coaching, life coaching, and relationship coaching. So my husband and I do the relationship coaching together, which I love to do. I feel like a lot of and people then, are looking for that right now, by the way, relationship a lot. coaching. Yeah. Yes, a lot. And it's beautiful to get the masculine and feminine perspective. And we think about life differently. So I love that. The second thing is going to our website, which is janandmonica.com, J-A-N-A-N-D-M-O-N-I-K-A. It's Monica, but with a K. I know it's the German spelling. So janamonica.com, where we have a content factory and you can hear our Relationship 911 podcast, our Mindset Academy. There's so many free tools. And then the third way to get involved with us is to participate in our programs. I have three programs that are two live and one's about to launch. We have a relationship program that we have. We have a 90-day plan program, which is over 90 days you create one of your big dreams or goals to come to fruition or to be very along the way. And how do you get all of the distraction or all of the stops and getting stuck out of the way? And then the third one is mindset mastery, which is more of a business program where you master communication, leadership, mindset, and spirituality all mixed into one. So it's a blend of all of it so that you can really have a thriving business. And you can find us on the normal places. You can find us on Instagram, Jan and Monica. I have my own Instagram, Monica Zans. You can find us in Facebook. There's lots of ways to get. And we just, we love to give content, resources, tools. So find us and dive in. And, oh, and Insight Timer, I have meditations because I oh, believe that in order yes. to go in, we need to pay attention to what is the voices inside of us. And guided meditation can really help us get out of our own mind and into this space of reflection. So many incredible tools for you guys. Thank you so much, Monica. Is there anything else that you haven't shared that you want people to know? Yes. I want you to know that having an amazing best friend and soul partner and soul sister like Laura Holloway is one of my greatest prideful gifts and, and, and opportunities that I've ever had to let someone into your heart at the level that you have allowed me to let you into my heart and to have the like kind of trust that you and I have and the friendship that you and I have and the sisterhood that you and I have, I can tell you anything. I feel totally safe to do so. And I feel challenged by you. You call my shit when I'm (laughs) treating people crazy or when I'm beating myself up and I have a ride or die and I'm so grateful. And I hope that your audience can really find themselves worthy of that kind of a friendship and recognize that that is one of the greatest gifts, not only in their intimate partnerships, but like friendship that is you being you and them being them and co-creation is breathtaking and fabulous. And I just love you to bits for all of it. Mm, I feel the same way about you. And it does take a level of trust and vulnerability and willingness to go deep with someone. So I do wish that for everyone because it's a it's a hard thing to find. My dad always said, if you can die with five best friends, you are a lucky man. That might be one of his books. Yeah. (laughs) The final five. Um, I love you, Monica. Thank you for your time and sharing your gifts with us.
Thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this episode and DM us. We'd love to interact with you about all you learn and create from this. If you love this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to get real-time updates when all new episodes go live. And if you can, please leave us a review. It will help us grow our community and our message to support more leaders on their growth journey. If you want to continue to hang out with me, follow me on Instagram at Laura E. Holloway and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at lauraeholloway.com for weekly downloads, blogs, upcoming workshops, events, and more. Stay aligned and make your move. I'll see you next week.